0: You're listening to Thinking Within the Church with Andrew Ray Williams. Hello and welcome to another episode of Thinking Within the Church. I'm Andrew, your host. So good to be with you. And as many of you know, if you've been journeying with us over these last few weeks in this season, we've been talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his great book on life together. And... One of the things that I, as a local church pastor, am passionate about is is reading and studying for the purpose of preaching. I'm a professional theologian, but I'm also a local church pastor, and one of the things that's really important for me is to help resource my preaching, because this is one of the primary ways I do public theology today. It's one of the ways I equip my congregation and exhort them into Christian living and, of course, one of the things that, as a, as a pastor, is important to me is to make my preaching theological. I want preaching to be more than just about uh, application, although that's very important, but I also want preaching to be about God, first and foremost. And, of course, how God and a right view of God in relation to everything helps us live rightly before God, And so, one of the things that I wanted to share on this podcast is a recent sermon that I preached at my local church, Church on the Hill in Fishersville, Virginia, on the act of confession. We've been going through this fall on uh, this series called Holy Habits, uh, basically spiritual disciplines to help develop in our lives that will help bring us into contact with the Holy One, God. God. And so, uh, I'm, you'll see here, if you listen to this, how I am actually doing theology as I'm preaching, and I'm actually using some of the things we talked about in our time studying Diedrich Bonhoeffer uh, to resource my preaching. So, you'll notice that I have an extended quote in here from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, but you'll also see that I am, you know, referencing Martin Luther, Augustine, John Cassian, among others— to help resource my people to live before God and to adopt this this habit of confession into their lives. So I wanted to share an example of the way that I try to do theological preaching. And so I hope that uh, wherever you are, that this sermon um, helps not only just give an example of theological preaching, but also helps uh, move you into a place of adopting confession uh, it's a it's a very important practice something I just recently have begun doing more of as a result of doing this study and so I hope that this uh, is meaningful and so let me go ahead and just share this message with you uh, for this episode and we'll be back next week with a new guest on a new topic but thanks so much for joining and here is my sermon on confession well it's good to be together isn't it Let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. Some of you may know we're in a series called Holy Habits, right? We all have habits. We all have habits. Some of us have really good habits. Some of us have really bad habits. Some of us have had habits since we were a kid that we can't get rid of, like biting your nails. And I am guilty as charged. There's just, I don't know why I just can't stop biting my nails. There's some habits we form that we, we just can't get out of. And a lot of times we want to begin to stop old habits and pick up new ones, right? And so that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, is how can we begin to uh, adopt habits and form them in our lives so they can make us to be the kind of people that we want to be and desire to be? So we've been talking about lots of different things. We've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about scripture reading. We've been talking about fasting. And this week we're talking about confession. Confession. So we're going to be t- uh, reading out of 1 John chapter 1, Verses 5 through 9. So we're going to be in the NIV this morning. And this is what it says. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out this truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your scripture. Thank you so much for your spirit who breathes and illuminates it for us, Lord, as we read it. Lord, help this morning as we talk about confession, as we talk about what it means to be a a community that is transparent and vulnerable before you and others, that you would do a deep work within us. That, Lord, we would open our hearts up to have you begin to uh, move in a new way. We love you and we praise you. And your church said, amen. You know, in the online world, people can communicate anonymously. And because of this fact, there is a rising trend in websites popping up for the purpose of offering people opportunities to air their darkest confessions. Visitors put into words the very thing they have spent a lifetime wanting no one to know about them. While visiting, they can also read the long-hidden confessions of others and recognize a part of humanity that is often as obscured as their own secrets. Namely, that I am not the only one with a mask, a conflicted heart, a hidden skeleton in my closet. Every single person has at least one secret that would break your heart, the website reads. If we could just remember this, I think there would be a lot more compassion in the world. This trend reveals that people today are looking for relief of confessing the things that they've done wrong. Culturally, people are wanting to bring these things into the light, but people are too frightened to bring it to light with others face to face. What we find in our text in 1 John is an invitation, but it's a unique invitation, especially in our world. It contains the message that in Jesus, there is no reason to hide. Before we came up with plans to improve our images or learn to pretend with masks and swap our identities, he saw who we were and was determined to love and save us regardless. Here in 1 John, he says, God is light and in them there is no darkness. Therefore, we cannot be in him and walk in darkness. However, this doesn't mean that we never sin, but it does that mean that when we sin, that we confess. He says in verses eight through 10, again, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, talking about God, out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So there are three ifs statements smashed together in an if sandwich. In other words, these are conditional statements. And together they form kind of a theological tapestry, if you will, emphasizing the importance of recognizing our own sinfulness, seeking forgiveness through confession, and acknowledging the universal nature of human imperfection. They encourage humility and repentance in a genuine relationship with God and others based on truthfulness and self-awareness. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the holy habit of confession, like I've said. And we're talking about how this habit can set us free from sin, but also set us free for new life in Jesus Christ. As I said before in our text in 1 John, he tells them that there's... In Jesus' community, there's no reason to hide, right? We live in a world of spin. We read an article and we think, hmm, what's the real truth behind this? Anybody ever thought that before? We live in a world of spin. We live in a world of scapegoating. We live in a world of blame. John is talking about an alternative way of living. In this passage, that Christ has established his church, his community, to be a community of humility, transparency, and truth. And this should be the one place on earth where we are not dodging. So John says, Confess your sins. The early Christian communities uh, that John is talking to would often pray and sing the Psalms in their gatherings on Sundays. And certainly they would have prayed and sung Psalm 32, which says this, Then I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, we serve a God who desires for us to acknowledge our sin so that we can be forgiven and restored in him. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. What we find in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is the practice of confession, that it is not so much what God gets out of our confession, but it is about what we get out of it. This is key. As Proverbs says, there is a relationship between whether or not we conceal or confess our sins, and how our lives end up playing out. God has given us the gift of confession. It's a gift for our own flourishing in him. And interestingly, this is actually not the only scripture that says this is a case. There are other studies that show this as well. Two diverse sources, in fact. Christian monasticism in the 5th century and modern psychology agree on at least one thing. That keeping dark secrets can destroy us, and confessing them can set us free. In the 5th century, there was a Christian spiritual writer named John Cassian. He claimed that, quote, As soon as a wicked thought has been revealed to God, and at least one other Christian, it loses its power. The demonic stronghold of sin is drawn out as it were into the light from its dark and deep cave by the power of confession. Nearly 1,500 years later, a contemporary textbook on psychology reached a similar conclusion. The book is called Coping with Stress, and it claims that, quote, people who tend to keep secrets have more physical and mental complaints on average than people who do not, including greater anxiety, depression, and bodily symptoms such as back pain and headaches. The book also argues that finding healthy places to share our secrets lead to freedom. The author says this, the initial embarrassment of confessing is frequently outweighed by the relief that comes with the verbalization of the darker secretive aspects of the self. So often when we think about Christian practices like confession, whether it be Bible reading, prayer, fill in the blank, we think about these habits as a way to glorify God right? And perhaps in some sense, this is true, right? But the greater truth is that these habits that we've been talking about and are talking about today are habits that are gifts to us from God. Confession is a central Christian habit that enables us to live into our identity as people who are free, not bound. See, these are not things that God is wanting us to do to just be moral people. These are gifts to actually help us actualize the identity that God has placed deep within us. The great Christian reformer Martin Luther once said this, When I admonish you to confession, I'm admonishing you to be a Christian. There is a link between the act of confession and reminding who we are as Christ followers, who we are as Christians. It sets us free to live into our identity gifted to us by Jesus Christ. And yet, despite the value that the Scripture, early Christian writers, and even modern psychology all place on confection, this is a highly neglected practice in the contemporary church, is it not? We have to ask ourselves, why is it so neglected? Well, perhaps one reason is bad teaching. Some Christian preachers and teachers actually go so far to say that we don't need to confess our sins. They say that the moment we're saved or converted, God pronounced all of our sins forgiving, meaning past, present, and future sins. And they also say that there is no need for us to confess our sins to God as believers or to ask forgiveness. Grace is enough, they say. And at the heart of this teaching, however, is a deep misunderstanding of the nature of grace— and the nature of salvation. And 1 John helps us see this, right? And so does Jesus' teaching. In Jesus' model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, whatever you want to call it, there's a line that says, forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Jesus is saying that we ought to pray for our forgiveness continually. In fact, the New Testament Tells us not only to confess our sins to God, but to confess our sins to one another. James five sixteen says, therefore, confess your sins to each other, and to pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, when I bought a car, a vehicle last, last couple years ago, when I was back in Pennsylvania, it was a UCRV, a Honda CRV, and it came clean, which is a rare treat for parents with small children. Despite being pre-owned, the dealership spruced it up, presenting it as looking brand new, right? And along with the purchase, they threw in a single free car wash, which of course was appreciated, but limited. But imagine with me, if instead of just one wash, the dealer guaranteed that all future car washes were on the house, emphasizing that the best way to advertise his dealership would be a spotless car. Now, that'd be remarkable, right? But in this in this world of unlimited car washes, I could take a messy trip down a, a muddy road and with potholes, and then go drive straight to the car wash and redeem my complimentary lifetime car wash. But what if before I even could enter, my friend suggested that I just didn't even need it? According to my friend, the initial wash that I got was sufficient. But then I tried to reason with my friend and I even showed him my soiled car. But they refused to acknowledge its need for cleaning because according to them, when the dealer purchased the unlimited car wash package for me, it was a one-time cleansing, erasing all past, present, future grime. Of course, this would be ludicrous, right? The truth is every time my car required cleaning, I could take advantage of a free wash because it's already been paid for. See Christ's sacrifice and resurrection fully paid for all of my sins. I now possess unlimited spiritual washes. However, this doesn't negate the necessity for repentance and confessing sins. I still need to go through the car wash sometimes. Anybody else? And we thank God that it is free, amen? The bottom line is that everything we need has already been purchased and provided by Jesus Christ. And as we walk with him in this world, we receive that forgiveness and guidance and provision as we confess our sins, be it day by day or moment by moment. Jesus' death is the means of forgiveness. But we must respond and continue to respond in faith to be saved. We see this in John 1.12. Salvation is relational, not transactional. Let me unpack this for us. Salvation is about a deep, ongoing communion with God that shapes our character, values, and ways of life. Right? See, often we talk about salvation as something that's transactional or something that's just merely static. It's something that God just kind of gave to us rather than it's something that we have to abide into, as Jesus says. We try to take all the blessings of salvation talked about in Scripture and stuff it into one moment. But see, this is not how the Bible talks about salvation. Salvation is not just only a one-time event. It's an ongoing process for those of us who choose to follow Jesus. Salvation is something that happened to me in my past, It's happening to me now in the present, and is something I will gain in the future. Let me show you some scriptures here. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from from yourselves, it is from the gift of God. But not by works, so that no one can boast. So it's, we have been saved. So it talks about salvation as something in our past. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So salvation is dynamic here, right? It's something that happened in my past. It's happening to me now. And it is something I will gain in the future. Romans 5, 9 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? Talking about the end The whole idea is that when we first accepted Christ's call, all sins were forgiven forever, meaning there's no need to confess future sins, is totally misunderstands. Salvation is something that's dynamic. It's a relational process that unfolds by God's initiation as we continually to walk with him through our lives. A second reason I think that we don't often confess our sins is, let's be honest, it's pride. Let's face it, we're not used to being vulnerable in the ways that John is calling his community to be vulnerable with one another, are we? As we read earlier, James says we need to confess our sins to one another. But our pride is one of the inhibitors of this kind of transparency and vulnerability. If you want to make the act of confessing your sin as pleasant as possible then make a full, not partial, con- confession. This is the message from a recent study conducted by researchers in the U.S. and Israel titled, I cheated, but only a little. Based on a series of studies involving 4,000 people, the researchers found that people who only partially confessed a transgression felt worse than those who did not confess at all. Dr. Eyal-Pierre, the study's lead author, had a surprisingly biblical angle on the results. He says this, Confessing to only part of the guilt of one's transgression is attractive to a lot of people because they expect the confession to be more believable and guilt-relieving than not confessing. But our findings show the exact opposite. People seeking redemption by partially admitting their big lies feel guiltier because they do not take the complete responsibility for their behaviors. The Harvard Business Review summarized the research this way. Confession is a powerful way to relieve guilt, but it only works if you tell the whole truth. See, Jesus calls his church to recognize that we're all sinners apart from him. He changes us from the inside out. We have no reason to be hide, right? We we have been transformed. The, the, The first thing we have to do before being a Christian is admitting that we don't have it going on. That's why we need Jesus, right? But still, the temptation is just to kind of water things down so we look human but not depraved. But God calls us through John to confess our whole sins to God and to one another so we can be relieved fully. As John says, if we deny that we sin, we only deceive ourselves. Lutheran pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, this is a long quote, but I think it's worth quoting in full. He says this: the root of all sin is pride. The spirit and flesh of human beings are inflamed by pride. For it is precisely in their wickedness that human beings want to be like God, free of sin, right? Confession in the presence of another believer is the most profound kind of humiliation. It hurts makes one feel small. It deals a terrible blow to one's pride. To stand there before another Christian as a sinner is an almost unbearable disgrace. By confessing actual sins, the old self dies a painful, humiliating death before the eyes of another Christian. Because this humiliation is so difficult, we keep thinking we can avoid confessing to one another. But the cross of Jesus Christ Shatters all pride. We cannot find the cross of Jesus if we are afraid of going to the place where Jesus can be found, the public death of the sinner. According to Bonhoeffer, confession is an act of humiliation, but a spiritually necessary humiliation. You're not humiliating the capital S spirit, you're humiliating your small s spirit. In confession, we declare our need for God, our ongoing need. Not just our need in our past, but our need, we need God's grace in the present. Not just to forgive, but to help empower us to live according to Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own. And sometimes we will fail. It shatters the sin of pride in trying to manage people's perceptions of us. In confession, we declare that God is who we really need in our lives. We declare our brokenness without him. In confession, we hear a fellow believer remind us of God's grace and forgiveness. See, followers of Jesus Christ have actually been given the opportunity and authority to receive the confession of sin and to forgive it in Jesus' name. John 20, verses 23 says, "...if you forgive anybody's sins, their sins are forgiven." If you not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What a strange and odd kind of passage, isn't it? God has made us chosen people, a royal priesthood, as First Peter 2.9 says. He has given us a life-giving ministry and authority in the name of Jesus to pronounce forgiveness over our fellow brothers and sisters, telling them of God's forgiveness and grace for each one of them it's such a wonderful privilege that God has given us this. What a life-giving ministry. But why should we shy away from it? Pride. Bonhoeffer, when talking about pride and confessions, ends up asking, Should we not find it easier to go to one another in confession than to go to a holy God? If he don't, if we don't, he says, there's a chance we may be deluding ourselves into thinking we are confessing our sin to God. But instead, we have been confessing our sin to ourselves and simply forgiving ourselves. This self-forgiveness can't break the pattern of sin. See, one of the great things about confessing to another is that you're confessing to God in the presence of God's body, of someone who is representing the body of Christ. Things are brought fully into the light. And when things come to light darkness can no longer have the kind of power it once did. If you're dealing with sin that you confess over and over and over and still have no victory, a question that the Spirit might ask us this morning is, have we confessed this sin to God in the presence of God's body? We don't need to confess in front of our whole body here, but a representative of Christ's body. See, when things are brought fully into the light, the darkness is squelched. Darkness feeds, covered up. See, this is good news, right? This is actually good news. And this is what to see, confession is one of these things where we automatically feel guilty because we know that we sin. But we need to see this as actually in a positive light. Because as Augustine, one of the great theologians and bishops of the church, said this, the confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. When we confess our sins to God and one another, we are released from its grip and empowered to live as God has us live. When the Kuwaru warriors of Papua New Guinea were about to launch into risky activity into battle that that, that required close cooperation— They first took time to set themselves right. Not only avert actions, but even hidden feelings had to be revealed. So these warriors, the Kawuror men, would go to a secluded spot in the jungle. They would kill and roast pigs. And as they shared a meal together, they would confess to each other the items that they had stolen and the animals that they had mistreated. But there was more on the agenda for these warriors These warriors believed that feelings such as anger or jealousy would sap their strength in battle and cause them to be wounded or even killed. Only through confession could these pent-up negative emotions be neutralized. And the Kawuror warriors understood an important truth, which is only by facing our faults, our misdeeds, In hateful or jealous thoughts, can we be made whole again? Only then can we be at full strength to face the battle of darkness we live day to day. See, confession makes us truly who we are meant to be, right? Reveals to us and others that we are just merely people reliant upon God. Why would we expect anything less? But when we do it, it releases us to be warriors against the kingdom of darkness. If I can have the worship team come forward. As we prepare to begin to go back into a time of sung worship and respond in prayer, one thing I'd like to exhort us to is the habit that will indeed make us more holy. By stripping us of our pride and thrusting us into the arms of Jesus and his community. To be honest with you, I, every single time we've been talking about this series about habits, you know, I've been, I've been practicing these habits more intentionally as I'm preparing my message. And I looked forward to every single one of them except for this one. But I did practice it this week. And even though it was uncomfortable, it was, as Bonhoeffer says, humiliating. I have to be honest, I'm so glad I did it. Because now I'm released from the lies of the enemy. Now I'm released into the light to live according to the power that God has given me. He's reminded me of who I am in Christ. And he can do the same for every single one of us here. See, this is an ongoing practice for all of us. Because through it, Jesus sets us free. Now, I do want to give us some guidelines if we're going to practice this well. I think that sometimes we can be transparent in terms of letting people know what's going on. But there's other things that we have to be vulnerable about that actually opens us up to wounding. And see, we need mature Christians who actually are not judgmental and legalistic, who actually have an own sense of their own faults. But don't let... The concern about being vulnerable with the wrong person keep you from being vulnerable with the right person. Because we need this. We need people to be transparent. Frankly, people in the church today, especially in the North American Church, I think we're, we're, we're so used to managing perceptions. We're supposed to, we, we have a whole industry to do that, multiple industries. But this morning, I wanted to invite us into be the kind of community that Jesus wants for his disciples. So maybe this week, maybe it's a connection group leader that you have. Maybe it's a spiritual mentor. Maybe it's a a strong spiritual friend that you have. Go and be vulnerable with them and maybe set up and say, say, I'd like to set up a time for me to come and confess some sins to you so I can receive the forgiveness of God. Spend some time before the Lord. Write it down. Bring them and then rip those suckers up. Because God has bought and paid for unlimited spiritual washes. Amen. Spiritual writer Richard Foster says this, Confession begins in sorrow, but it ends in joy. There is celebration in the forgiveness of sins because it results in a genuinely changed men. We serve a God who is holy and in his love has reached out to transform us into people who share in his very holiness. And confession begins by an awareness of who God is. And this morning, I want us to bring in the awareness of who God is so we can respond this morning. It begins by being in awe of God. So let's stand together and let's exalt the Lord together the awe of god coming forth as we sing i exalt thee and you can be seated let's take some let's go and take communion together on that note this is how we taste and see that the lord is good by feasting together and proclaiming to, to god and to one another this is communion we call it communion because we're communing with god and we're communing with others as we commune with god so we confess our sins publicly reminding ourselves and others that we have missed the mark We're reminded that we're forgiven in Jesus' name and we're set aright by taking the cup and the bread, thanking God for what he's done. Most merciful God, we confess that, Lord, we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and, Lord, by what we've left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And so, Lord, we're truly sorry and humbly repent this morning. And for the, son of, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that, Lord, we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And Father, we, we accept and embrace your forgiveness today. We thank you that you we are a forgiven community in you. So, Lord, we offer these gifts to you. Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. The holy food and drink of a new and unending of Jesus. Sanctify us also, that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and serve you in unity and peace. Amen. Let us eat the bread together, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let us partake of the cup. Jesus' blood spilled for us. But let's go ahead and have our prayer teams come forward. If there's something that you would just like to pray for this morning, whether it be out of this morning message or just something that's else we just want to invite our prayers teams to come up now and as we're going to continue to worship we're going to release you we're going to continue to worship and if you have anything that comes to, to mind that you need prayer for um, come up to one of these, these people and um, let's continue to, to worship even as we go let me speak this blessing over you the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Let's walk in grace this week. Amen? Amen. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next week.